Hello everybody, this is the Boots of the Boardroom podcast from the Catalyst Program with your guest Blake Miles and co-host Jacob Eccles, and we're joined by our, our guest today, Robert Hurst. How's everyone doing? They doing well, how are you? Alright, good morning, happy long weekend for the, <laughs> and the, uh, the memorial, you know, for everything that, um, I'm sure we'll get into, but um, I, th- I think my family and I connected real well yesterday, and definitely, uh, you know, we had a few minutes there uh, to think about uh, the Memorial Day weekend, what it's really about. Awesome. That's that's uh, extremely important, especially in crazy times that we're living in. So today uh, we're joined by our guest, Robert, and Robert is a... Uh, why don't you tell yourself, tell tell the audience about yourself, Robert. We'll, sure. we'll let you explain yourself so I don't botch it and mangle it. <laughs> well, fair enough. I may do that anyway, but I'll go ahead <laughs> and explain it. Uh, so I'm a six-year Army veteran. I was medically retired in uh, 2016. And in 2017, I joined the team here at uh, Southern Methodist University in my current role. Um, I'm the Veterans Assistance and Outreach Coordinator, so... Uh, I work with all our student veterans across campus to, you know, from from cradle to matriculation. So initial conversations to, you know, how can I help you after you graduate, whether that's writing your resume, finding a job, whatever I can do. Awesome. So how did you find yourself at SMU? That was one of the first questions I had because, you know, it's always interesting to figure out how people end up where they end up and at a nice college like that and I'm always curious and something a, a army veteran ends up there so how'd you end up there you know that's a great question <laughs> and um <laughs> it uh it was it was it was interesting so I started off <clears throat> after I after I got out of the military you know uh like I said I was medically retired so the preparation uh for separation was a little bit quicker uh than than initially what it, what I thought it would be because, um, you know, from the day that that process started, you know, that med board started, I was out within 60 days, uh, you know. Um, so my wife and I are kind of scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. We're up in Washington State. I'm a southern boy, uh, so I'm, I'm like a fish out of water. So we decided to come down here to Texas and, you know, heard great things about the Lone Star State, about how they treat their veterans and, and not disappointed uh, in that. But, um I started off at a community college, decided to go back to school. I started off at a community college here in, in the Dallas area. Uh, and during that time, you know, I was, I was trying to find a job, uh, which is challenging to do, um, or, or was then. And uh, I, I just got lucky. I got, I got really, really lucky. As a matter of fact, I actually interviewed for an IT role here. Um, and my former boss, his name was Tony. Uh, he was a, a Army veteran as well, and he took a chance on me, and, and you know, we saw a need here at the university um, for, for some kind of veteran veterans advocate on campus. And uh, he put me in that position, and, and we've grown it to where it is today. So you, so you kind of, like, created your own role, or through with the help of Tony, you kind of created your own role. Oh yes, yeah, and that was an interesting process, and not just Tony. I mean, good, good Lord, everybody, you know, uh, top down here. Uh, you know, I work in the continuing and professional education arm of the university, and, and everyone here just kind of supported that. Uh, 
what started off as more of a a passion project, if you will, and uh, you know, to to help my brothers and sisters, I always felt that need to do that post service, and um, it just it just caught on. It just caught on. There was clearly a need here, you know, in the Dallas area for for something from from a good university like like SMU is, uh, you know, some kind of foot in the door. And so once we opened that door, they people just came crashing in. It's been great. Interesting. So I, I gotta I gotta rewind a, a tad about the medical separation because sure. I, I don't think I've talked to a lot of people about that specific process. But now I'm mm-hmm. curious. Why? What's the speed? You mentioned the speed of getting through that. What have you given any thought to why, you know, it's because it's one thing when you're getting out of the army. It's, you know, the analogy I always use is like getting kicked out of an airlock from a space station. They're just like, hey, you got to go, dude. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. But so the the med board, that's that's an entirely different ballgame. You're kind of clawing tooth and nail to avoid that sometimes. So, like, what, what do you think the speed comes from and what's that? process like for you well i think it's it's unique to to everybody um mine you know i was with the unit in washington you know they were we were getting ready to deploy um and i had lingering knee issues uh and i god good lord i had done everything everything that the army could throw at me we had tried outside of just a complete knee replacement um, you know, we're getting ready to do our, our uh, pre-deploy, uh, pre-deployment field exercise. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went to my leadership and I was like, hey, I'm still having knee issues. I got to go see the doc. Um, and I went to go see the doc again. And he said, I can't do anything else for you. Here's your med board. It'll start now. Uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system. I remember going home to my wife and telling her what happened. Uh and I think she was blown away as well. So we, we kind of scrambled and went into preparation mode uh, for, you know, what that's going to be like. But um, I will say up at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, they did a good job of um, their their med board team, you know, from the docs to the lawyers. You know, they did a good job of kind of walking me through the process of what it's going to be like. Um, but like I said, it was really fast, really fast. Um, yeah. I don't know if that really answers your question or not. Uh, the speed, I think, I think to, to really answer your question, the speed came from my unit was getting ready to deploy. Ah. Uh, and they just kind of, they wanted to make space for somebody else, which I understood. You know, I was very supportive and they were very supportive of getting me what I need and then me kind of, you know, making the transition out. So in having conversations with other veterans that have gone through the normal out-processing hoop jumping game like what mm-hmm. what do you think is the biggest difference between the med board side and that side uh not necessarily your decision i think is the mm-hmm. biggest thing um you know <clears throat> i think i think and i could be totally off base i think whenever you make the decision to get out you know you sign a you know whatever a 18 month or a six you know to a six-year contract um you know there's an end date on that and so you're coming up on that end date, you know, a year, two years out, you can start preparing. Hey, as soon as I leave service, I want to, I, I want to apply to, you know, 200 jobs before, you know, I'm two months out. I want to, you know, apply to this college and get accepted, you know, six months out. Um, whereas in my case, you know, I'm, 
you know, the med board process, it, it just happened fast. And so mm -hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to apply to, you know, SMU. Um, I had to go to a community college because that's, that's, they could get me in the quickest. There was no application process to a community yeah. college. It was, hey, I'm going to send you my stuff and I'll be there in February. I think it does, you know, t you talk about the very di the various differences. I mean, I, I think mine was mostly a normal process. Uh, but, it, you know, you, like you mentioned, the airlock, it was like an it, almost two-year-long tunnel of airlock where you see it, you know, it's coming, <laughs> and it's like dragging on. But particularly in my profession, they're like, hey, you're going to go to Afghanistan one last time. We're going to get you on the way out. And then Just you, for funsies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you get back, and you have less – you took that two-month – or that two-year window, and you, like – you get back and you're like maybe even like six seven months left and you're like oh my gosh like i have this i have a, a mountain of paperwork and a checklist that i don't even know what what this means and they're like yeah yeah just do this <laughs> so <laughs> despite the two years of preparation and knowing when it's coming i mean for me anyway especially getting out and this was 2013 it was like we'll get you you know they sent me to afghanistan one last time and i got back and it was just sprinting um, I would tell you the unique story for me is, you know, I was trying to figure out how to do the Diddy move stuff and we we're going from Kansas to North Carolina and my wife ended up getting a job where she was, her company paid to move her. She had to sign like a, I think an 18 month contract or whatever, but the new company she had, they paid to move and we we're like, do it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to the military, <laughs> you know, the travel office. If, if this company's going to do it, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just you know the military and the DOD they're 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 monsters they're animals and you know it's just a a lot of a mountain of things to do and it catches up no matter how much time you have. I tend to avoid thinking about the out processing, like just everything about that out out processing situation. I I like erase from my mind. It maybe is different back in you know because I, I went I out processed in two thousand seven from joint base Lewis McCord and just I remember that checklist that checklist is like I felt like uh you know Link going through and trying to save Zelda and you gotta you gotta find the candle before you can go into the cave and I hated that stuff <laughs> you know I mean I think I don't know Robert I I uh, you know I went through like one of the first versions of TAP and that was like they sent yeah. me to an air I was always on army bases I was always you know I was an air force guy but so they sent me to an Air Force base for TAP, which was uh, McConnell, which is in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and I was there for like several weeks, like off and on. And I just remember like, I was like, well, it's just something I guess I have to do. And I don't, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Like I have so much <laughs> literature from it somewhere around here. It's probably in a box unless my wife, you know, threw it away and didn't tell me. But I just remember going, man, there's no way I'll ever under like i comprehend this this is there is drinking from the uh the fire hose and then there's whatever this is and it was just like <laughs> boom we, we we checked the box get out you know and i was like all right <laughs> you know <laughs> got it that that's a that's a good point because that's whenever i went through you know that that tap program the the one thing that stuck with it with me the most is i think you're right about drinking from a fire hose you know it uh what was the point of it I think is what I what I said time and time again. What was the point of that? Um, we did. I specifically remember a resume building class, and I remember the instructor out there. And here I am, you know, just just a doe-eyed, you know, kid listening to him. 
this is how you write your resume. It's going to be like four pages long, but everybody likes that because you're coming out of the military. <laughs> Nobody likes a four-page resume. What? I, I don't know. It's like the advice that they gave throughout the whole process was just terrible. Terrible. Well, so I don't know if it's gotten any better at all. Well, the consistency, I think, maybe is what you're talking about, right? So they were up front when they said, create a master one that'll be four pages, but that target is one page with accomplishments. They were, I, they actually had it right, like the one that I went through. But I do, I've heard other people that even went through that similar class like a year later, and it was a completely different format, where they said, oh, it's got to be this long or that long. or uh, It was a consistency issue. Uh, right, and then they're like, if you're gonna do a government one, then here's how you do that one. And it was another book, and I'm like, no, no, I'm I, I can't I can't read that book, even if it's at night, like I'm trying to fall asleep. Like there there's no motivation inside me that could ever make me read, like how to get a GSA job with a you know a resume that's like ten pages long. Like there's no way. The one thing I re the one thing I remember was. You're just you're thrown into a classroom with everybody that is getting out at that time, and you know when you're you know like you're a toddler, you got the this the little game where you're trying to put the shapes in the hole. You know you got your star, you got your circle, you got your square and your triangle. There's just a square, and you're just trying to jam a square in everything, and every everyone's mm. trying to fit the square and the <laughs> the star and the square, and you know there, it doesn't matter what you are and what your background is. Is like you know you got one class, and that's you know we're we're just gonna check the block and get you out of here. At least that was my experience. It's fair yeah, because that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean I you know I was TAC P, and I went to a normal Air Force base, and it happened to be like an air refuel wing. Right, KC-130 or this, you know, KC-135s, normal Air Force people doing normal Air Force jobs, <laughs> and I say that, and I and I'm indifferent to it. I always was, but like you get in there and they're like, "Oh, you're a Tac P guy. You're gonna have so much to put in your resume." I'm like, "No, I'm not. <laughs> like, there's there's nothing transferable like uh, on the on the surface. Like me calling in airstrikes is not a good appealing, uh, you know, if I'm going into like HR." Oh, you want to be an HR guy? You used to drop bombs on people. Um, <clears throat> there's the door. You know, it was like, it's not going to work. So, you know, despite the cool, I was like, I have cool stories. <laughs> I don't have a cool resume, like, for what they want. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's a good, uh, I think, I'm just thinking of a good segue here, Robert. So, like, you're talking with SMU, you're talking with their, you know, the, you're, you're moving heaven and earth to create a new position. Mm -hmm. and getting all these pieces aligned. What was that like in trying to explain your background and, and how that transferred over? Ooh. Mm, well, you know, I will say it certainly helped having, you know, a supervisor who was also a veteran because uh, that's, that's just a built-in advocate. Um, you know, I... <laughs> Ner it, it was it was a little nerve-wracking at times, you know, simply because you don't know it can go left or right on you real quick. Um, you know, going to people and saying, hey, I know we've never done anything like this at this university that's been around for 100 years. Um, let me try this. You know, there there's a lot of room to, to succeed and a lot of room to fail. And so, um, you know, again, I just go back to the support that I had, you know, throughout the uh, – top down man um everybody kind of bought into the mission and i really had to sell 
you know, what this was going to be, you know, what this process was going to be like, uh, and, and having to sell it from a guy who had never done it before. Um, so I pulled every resource that I could, you know, talking to people, Hey, what's been successful for you? Uh, cause I'm a big proponent of if it's not broke. Don't fix it. You know, if, if people are having success, you know, <clears throat> I hate the term recruiting, but we'll use it, you know, recruiting veterans, you know, using a certain type of jargon, I'll do the same thing and just kind of twist it around to match what SMU has. Um, and we did that for a little bit. Um, and now we kind of have our own thing. Um, but that, that was the process. I think it was more nerve wracking and a lot of work, a lot of work. Cause I'm just a one man shop. Um, I don't have anybody else. I mean, I had their support element embedded throughout, throughout campus. You know, everybody has as like a secondary or, you know, <laughs> like a tertiary job to, to support veterans, you know, in advising or processing benefits and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's all I do. Hey, Robert, it might help yeah. then, especially for the, the listeners. Cause oftentimes when we bring people on, it's like how to make the square peg fit in the whole, like as Blake's analogy, but what yeah. bef, bef, in your army life, I mean, what was your MOS? What did you do? Yeah, sure. No, that's a, yeah, we should definitely start there. So, I joined with, um, you know, high expectations. I had a brother in the Marine Corps, um, and, and I wanted to be, you know, I, I'm the youngest, right? And so I look at my brothers, and I'm like, dude, I want to be just like my brothers. Uh, I walked into the Marine recruiter's office and uh, just got blasted. I was like, hey, I'm here to join. And, you know, you got all these Marines looking at you like, you're an idiot. Get out. Because uh, I said, you know, I want to be, I, I want to be, you know, uh, in EOD, can I be in EOD? They're like, no, get out. Walk over to the Army recruiter. They're like, heck yeah, dude. What, what do you want to do? Um, and so I, I initially joined to do uh, EOD, so 89 Delta. Uh, went through the schoolhouse, uh, you know, in Alabama, and then got transferred down to Florida to continue that. Um, it did not work out for me. Um, you know, I got bounced out um, and then made the decision at the time, you know, there was a big push for intelligence. So I made the decision then to switch over. And so for the majority of my career, I was a 35 Fox. So it was all source intelligence and then uh, did, you know, worked inside of other elements inside of the intelligence community. Nice. Did you hold, so you, I, I guess I'm curious now then you ended up in the academic space. I mean, could you have, I did, I, yeah. by the way, going from EOD to intelligence was a very <laughs> intelligent decision. I don't know. There's, there's just got to say that <laughs> particularly in that period, you know, I, all I remember about the EOD guys, remember I used to call in airstrikes was anytime there was a dud or is anything like that. I, those guys just hated us. They're like, we got to go out there and get that. I'm like, well, you chose that career field. Good luck. You know, it's a night op. Hopefully they're sleeping. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, why not go to the intelligence um, community and stay in that, that's, that space? You know, it, I enjoyed that portion of my career. Uh, you know, EOD is not like big army, right? Because it's just a small community inside of a small community. Um, so I had the opportunity to kind of do whatever I wanted to do, uh, which was great. Um, and to be just totally honest, whenever I joined, they, they waved the big check in front of my face. <laughs> hey, look at this massive signing bonus. Um, and, um, I don't know, something, something about intelligence really kind of, 
really kind of stuck with me. Um, you know, the mission of what they do and the kind of behind the scenes uh, type work. I don't know. And I really love the moniker, Silent Professional. I, you know, I was told that by the, by, you know, my captain at the time. He was like, yeah, you know, I think their thing is Silent Professional. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's what I am. I'm not a big talker. I just want to go and do my job and make sure I do it well and then move on. Um, and so that, that, I think that was the most attractive thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, army guys like aviation and EOD, you guys, you know, actually had sideburns and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was working with mostly infantry my entire career. So I always thought that was funny. Um, but I think what the EOD guys, when you said Florida, they go to Eglin, right? Down there. Yeah. 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 I was down at Eglin for just that, just that a year. Yeah. It's an air force base for all you guys out there. That's why we, we convert them. That's why they come out with sideburns and, you know, long hair. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I had never, not one time had, I, I lived in a hotel like they, Eglin had taken the hotel on base and, and transfer and, you know, transformed it into a barracks. And so I just thought it was so cool that my, my barracks room key was a plastic card just a swipe card. I thought I was living the high life. You know, the, the defect or whatever, you know, y'all's equivalent is, they take your plate off the table. I was like, what is this wonderful place? Uh, Eglin was fantastic. And Dustin's right there. So, you know, for a young 20-year-old making way too much money, it was a wonderful place to be. Yeah, I was at Hurlburt Field right down the road for – different training that's where they used to have it they still have the schoolhouse there for tag p but i don't i i, I don't know man I, every time i think about that i always remember I, everyone asked me well, you know if i had fun there and i am not really you know i don't like the, you like the beach no the sand really hurts when you're running on it and then you're going into the swamp and then you're coming back out to the sound and that's how they clean you off is they get in the dirty sound water so for me i guess you know experience was a little different but they had good food. <laughs> it's weird how the military takes everything in the civilian world that's fun and turns it into some sort of suffering. It's I've always wondered about that. How does it's they do that? It's not suffering. It's a training opportunity. Ah, that, it's, it's just a change. I get it. See, you're way ahead of me, Jacob. That's that's the trick. You got to change your mindset. This is the there NCO is. coming out of me. I'm, I'm mentoring you now. You're, there you're, is a chance for a perfect quote right there. It's not suffering. It's an opportunity for training. You need a code like that. Yep, it's not suffering. It's a training opportunity. I like this. We need, we need, yeah, we need to get on that. We need to write Attitude, that down. Attitude, perception, perception is <laughs> fill in the blank. I, my only memory, my only memory of Hurlbert, I got to, so we got to go down there for, we went to Griffin Driving School with our team. That was a lot of fun, but that wasn't Hurlbert. Then we drove up to Hurlbert, and then. Uh, I remember I got to load the 40 mic mic round. I got to fly in the AC-130 as we were doing call for fire drills, and I got to load 40 mic mic drills. And then, and then the next day I watched uh, what, what's there's a movie, um, and now I've lost the name of the movie. The Transformers. Had, no, it was uh, <laughs> no Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was the name of the movie. So I, I watched Hitchhiker. The only I could only get our old medic to go with me to watch this movie on base. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He was the only one on the team willing to go with me. But I ha that that was my only memory of Hurlburt Field. It was a, it was a lot of fun over there. <laughs> and we also learned the universal, universal answer to every question, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
I'll, I'll roll on to my next question, and I think this is uh, this is one of the important ones because it comes from, you know, the the underlying thesis of the Catalyst program and why we operate and how we operate is, Robert, what was your why for joining the military? I think you kind of touched on it, but you know, expand yeah. on it. why 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 did you join? What was your reasoning? How did that you know how does that transfer into what you're doing now? Sure. So I. Yeah, ultimately it, it kind of landed on, like I said, you know, I had a had a brother in the Marine Corps who who then transferred over into the Army, and so um, I think that that was a, a mass appeal to me. Uh, also, you know, straight out of high school, I did what most kids do, and I I went to college, and uh, college just was not my thing at eighteen, nineteen years old, you know. Uh, and kind of floated around for a little bit, trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do, you know, with my life. And, um, you know, talking to my brother, seeing the things that, that he was, you know, getting to do and the opportunity to do certain things, you know, really appealed to me. I was proud of his service. And so I kind of wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, it, um, you know, that, that military tradition runs, you know, relatively deep throughout my family, you know, with my, my grandfather and uh, I believe my great-grandfather's both serving um so just kind of wanted to to take a crack at it and uh i took i took a big crack at it my first contract was my only contract i mean i i jumped in jumped right into the pool and just signed a six-year contract um and so i think i think that that would be my why is um you know like most young brothers i kind of wanted to be like my older brother and and do that um but do it my own way because uh, there's one thing I forgot to mention whenever you asked the question of why, why did you choose Intel? I was also told, and they were not wrong, the Intel community promotes quickly. Uh, and that is, that is something that, you know, points were low at the time. Uh, I wanted to get into that. You know, I was ready to, to move up. I was ready to move up because I, <clears throat> I joined at 20 years old, um, which isn't old. By any means, that's still very young. But I think in the military, especially in the army, you know, you're you're getting there. You're, you're yeah. getting there to be an old man. Late twenties, um, man. You're middle aged. <laughs> <laughs> They're phasing you out into the office. Well, hell, hell right. basic, basic training at the age of twenty, you're like you're like the the wise sage sitting in the corner <laughs> meditating. Yeah, the you're the rope. <laughs> He's yeah. the rope. He's gonna have the rope. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, in in. There you go. That that's my why for why joining. And um, you know, I, I separated from from service, and uh, you know, I still had that. You know, Jacob, you said something about that old NCO mentality. You know, I never got out of that as far as you know, caring for you know service members. I don't care what branch you're in. You know, I just wanted to be helpful. Uh, you know, in in whatever fashion I can I can help. And so that translates to my job. You know, however I can help, if it's you know, just talking to you about whatever you have going on, if it's figuring out what you want to do moving forward with your life, whatever, uh, I'm here for it. So do you think since uh, since you've gotten out, since you've you know, separated, has <laughs> that why evolved? Well, it's hard, to, it's hard to ask after you've gotten out, but, like, has the why evolved at all since the moment you joined from the time you are now? Like, looking back, how that why has developed out in the years? Man, that's a deep question. I like deep um, questions. That's that's how I think. Otherwise, no, I, would, I would be useless on here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I don't think it's something that I've really reflected on a whole lot. Um, 
I think my <clears throat> my goals have shifted, you know, um, because whenever I got out, <clears throat> the immediate thought was, how do I make money? You know, how do I support my family? You know, I have a young, we're a young family. I have a, a wife and two boys, you know, how do, how do I support that family? Um, and then going through the college process, I think this is, this is what really drove it for me, going through, you know, going to a community college, because I thought that was my only option. Um, you know, coming out of the military, not having been in college for seven years at that point, you know, I was like, I can't jump into a, you know, a traditional you know, a university. I need to go to a community college and really kind of, you know, get those chops back. Um, but I didn't. I, I didn't need to do that. And so, you know, I spent, I did finish out. I got my associates at, you know, at a community college and then transferred over to a four-year institution and got my bachelor's degree. And, you know, during my time at the community college and, and then I started here at SMU, I was thinking to myself the whole time, what a waste of time community college was for me. A great experience, no doubt. But it was a waste of time in, in the fact that I was using my benefits and not maximizing my benefits. Um, and so I think that, that kind of shifted my attention a little bit to helping others not make that same mistake uh, because I viewed that as a mistake. You know, I didn't need to spend two years at a community college to get my associate's degree like I was told I should. Uh, I could have spent three years at a four-year four institution at a university and got my bachelor's degree and still have, you know, GI Bill left over to, to tackle a graduate degree or, you know, do whatever with. Um, so, I, yeah, in that regard, I guess it does. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Uh, it, it did kind of shift, you know, I want to, to help others not make, you know, this the same, what I view as a mistake as, as I did. So when the, the, the community college experience, like, Mm -hmm. I, I went the same path. I, I went to uh, community college and, you know, I got my associate's degree and that. The one thing <laughs> I always remember is like, why does it seem like every time I go and talk to the counselor, it's like it just gets longer and longer and like I, it never it never seemed like the the, right. the, uh, the finish line was always slightly ahead of where it was before. And it. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Talk about that for a second, because you're in you're in the college world, and yeah. I know it confused the hell out of me. So <laughs> maybe you got a better understanding of why that is. Man, I don't know if I have a better understanding. But, uh, <laughs> you know, personal experience and then professional experience, I think, has opened my eyes to a few things. You know, I'm 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 here to help the student, but at the end of the day, you know, this is still business. Everybody's got to make money, right? Um, so I, we don't do this here at the university, but I will, you know, go back to the community college time. You know, I had a similar experience. You know, I'd go into, they did have a veterans rep. I went into his office and I felt like I was kind of being shuffled around to do a bunch of courses that I didn't need to take to get me to an end, end point. Like I, I've left there with like 84 credit hours. You only need 60 for, a, for a, an associate's degree, right? Uh -huh. so I'm, I'm wasting time and money. Um, and that's something, again, that is something that, that I try and help students with. You know, let's pick a path and let's stick to it. Don't, don't shuffle around. Don't go left and right. You know, if you want to experiment, <clears throat> if you want a psychology degree and you just kind of want to dabble, 
you know, and into education, take take a couple education courses, you know, or you know, um, that was that was a horrible analogy. Education <laughs> courses at a university, excuse me. You know, check. You we got to, it. We understand. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you you want to take biology or something like that? Just kind of see what else is out there. Do it. You know, do it. But um, don't waste your time. Uh, and I think that that a lot of us. You know, we, we get out and the ones that are fortunate enough to get, you know, your full GI Bill at the time, I had 36 months, 36 months to utilize that, uh, the, you know, that supplemental income, so on and so forth. Uh, but nobody really told me how to best utilize that for myself. You know, what was the end state of that 36 months that I had? Uh, and I just kind of looked at it as a paycheck for a long time um, and not as, you know, a means to an end. You know, what's the, what's the, where's the end of the yellow brick road? Is it an undergraduate degree or am I just riding this thing out until my GI Bill's done and then I'm done with college? Um, and I know there's, a, there's quite a few people that are that way as well. You know, I have quite a few veterans coming in and <laughs> their one question is, uh, you know, do I get benefits for taking this course? Uh, Yes or no is my answer, but then I always follow up with, you know, what are you trying to get out of the course? I think that's a more important question that we have to answer for ourselves is, you know, what are we getting out of, you know, what we're putting into it? That's weird. We're, our minds must have melded because my next question is like, so what's the most common thing you see from veterans coming in to, to your office and, you know, asking questions about, All right, I want to go to SMU, I want to, I want to do blah blah blah. What does that look like? Yeah. What's like? What's the most common theme you see out of veterans and either their lack of lack of knowledge, I guess, <laughs> for lack of better terms. You know, what what makes them more prepared? What makes them less prepared? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the most common thing, you know, if if students do come into my office, is uh, you know, I need I need help figuring out what to do. Um, you know, you guys, you know, we offer an extensive catalog of courses and you have people coming in here and they're like, Hey, I got a GI bill. What can I do? <laughs> and, you know, just helping navigate that, you know, just having those conversations and trying to connect with the students to figure out, you know, who they are, mm -hmm. you know, what, again, going back to what their goals are, where, what's the end state for you? You know, what are you trying to do? Uh, and then we can navigate that together. Um, I think that is probably the most common question that I get asked is, you know, Hey, I have this GI bill. I want to use it. You know, I'm looking to switch careers or I'm just, you know, I'm getting ready to separate from service. Uh, what can I do or what's going to get me a job? Uh, that's also a common one is what's going to get me a job. What do I need a cert professional certification or do I need to go back to school? You know, I think this is going to come back, you know, catalysts and, uh, what we do as well because I, I talk to a number of people every week who flow through our application process and you know I've talked to veterans who are like oh I have almost three degrees but they don't have one and I'm like how how is that possible well I don't have a GI Bill anymore I don't have the VRE I'm like no because you have almost three degrees but you have no undergraduate uh, who who did you talk to that, that that deceived you, for lack of better words, you know? And sometimes that's what it is. So I think you know you know through our partnership with Indian West Lane and soon to be with SMU. I mean, I, it's good to hear you say that because 
we as a company, our vested interest is in the experience of that that candidate of getting them through there to success. You know, and and you know sometimes it is blatant answers like, no, that won't benefit you. I think I know you want to take the basket weaving class, but it doesn't help you. You know, and I'm, I'm making a joke out of it, but there's so many times you hear this, and you know, thankfully. Uh, the education counselors with you know IWU, for example, are, are, are fairly communicative about what's going on with that process now. And we've got a process there, which if they hit a brick wall or they, they start straying, then we bring them back. We start talking to them about why. What is your focus? Why do you want mm-hmm. to do this? You need a degree. Okay, why? Oh, mm-hmm. well, I think I, I, you know, the engineering degree, to, but I, I'm not sure if I want to do that. I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? Well, I just, you know, I want to do this job or that job. Well, it's an undergrad degree. Unless it's very specific, a business degree will take you into a lot of places. Um, you know, an engineering degree is very pigeonholed into a certain area. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But you need to make the internal commitment before so your plan and your path is set. And if you need to deviate, you can to a degree. But at one point, you just need to finish. Like, yeah. do we need to drag you across or, or what? <laughs> but you, we want you to succeed and you know finding those partners in the academic institutions like with smu and yourself and you know these other people that's as important to us as anything because it really comes down to making sure that candidate's taken care of because we could you know i think you and i i mean just here shortly we could talk dozens of of times where i've talked to people and i'm like whoa who did you talk to that gave you this information (laughs) whether it's like illusions about what the benefits are uh versus you know Mm -hmm. why you're taking these courses or even you know like what they thought like you're just like who guided you down this path let's get you back on track (laughs) wow and it's it's been like that almost every every week yeah that you know that is common and i'm glad you brought that up and i think that's what uh you know whenever i was introduced to dan you know hearing his his story and having a similar you know experience uh, as he had whenever you know he started the catalyst and and what y'all are doing now i think that's what was so appealing um because i think that is that's a gap you know i think it's a disservice that we do to a lot of service members is kind of you know going back to our you know your your airlock analogy is just kind of kick them out and you know fend for yourself um depending on how long you know you were in the service you, you don't think for yourself a whole lot. You know, things are pretty well laid out for you for most people. Um, and so having that culture shock of freedom, that's scary. That's scary. And so having programs like the Catalyst coming down here, you know, to SMU, it's exciting because it's another opportunity to, you know, for for not only, you know, fellow, you know, military veterans to kind of help you guide, um, but but successful military who people who have made that transition successfully for themselves and others you know y'all being there for them to to help them figure out you know what their why is why are you doing what you're doing um, we're pumped up about it I mean everybody here at SMU is excited for the program that's great I mean and full disclaimer to everyone out there they, you know another thing is too not everyone's experience coming out is getting kicked out of an airlock sometimes <laughs> yeah. people they they make a connection with someone in the in the office they have a VSO or someone that is just doing a fantastic job I get no recognition out there those are the people that if I when we find them we latch on and say 
where, what is your success? Who helped you? Who is the advocate? We want mm. to, to, to get to know them. We want to be a part of that. Or we want to promote mm -hmm. them. We want to help you at the end of the day. So for those people that have landed on their feed or for those people, certainly, you know, that are, that are, uh, they need to contact Robert today. I mean, for, you know, Robert, we'll put uh, your information if you don't mind, at least we'll, we'll mm -hmm. figure out which is okay to your office sure. information in this, um, this post whenever we upload that way if you're out there and you're listening you're going robert's the guy i need to talk to well we'll, we'll get you directed to him uh but you know for the other people out there that are doing fantastic work and i have you know i hear success stories about veterans that come out they actually get they're not underemployed they're 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 employed and they're and, and they do well they, they they are the minority in this uh, percentage yes but for those people we definitely want to connect and commend them for the work that they do mm -hmm. as well yeah, I think there's a there's a number of situations for like for me for example, part of my problem when I get out is I was only 23 when I separated out of active duty, so my perception of what the world was actually like versus what it was was entirely you know skewed and you know, I, I, my entire adult life at that point was on a special forces detachment, which is nowhere near what what reality is like and i remember guys as i'm getting out they're like dude you need you need to like you know start networking start connecting with people on your way out the door i'm like nah i'll be fine i'm just i'm, I'm gonna jump out of the airlock and i'll eventually land on a planet and you know it'll be solid and you know it, i think that was the biggest thing for me was uh realizing when i got out there was there wasn't a center of gravity that I was I was folding into, and I think Jacob, you you point made a good point. Is like there there are people that do have good experiences getting out, and I think the biggest difference is that w what are you getting out into? Like who who do you know that you've connected up with that is going to fold you into something that either develops into opportunities or helps you understand what opportunities actually even look like. And uh, I think there, there's a big skewed perception of, and we had that conversation with Dan Halverstead on the last podcast. He was talking about the skewed perception of, uh, of veterans, like, you know, you're 37 years old, you're almost able to retire. And at the age of 37, retiring, for most nor normal people, that isn't even a concept. But if you enlist at the age of 17, it is possible. And, you know, you spend your whole life in the military what you view as possible and and uh, you know uh, potential are entirely different than the reality on the ground. It's you know it's a maturity process too. I mean, I am one of those guys that was like, "That's the door to the airlock. I'm sprinting, like open it. I'll, I'll leap out." Like, I, and it's not like I was disgruntled as much as I was like, "I made a decision. I'm doing it." Uh, I did go over to Iraq Afghanistan a lot, so I was also like happy about that, you know. And I was like, "All right, I'm done. Like, you guys can't even get me. I'm inactive. Like, there's no inactive reserve. There's no, you know, pulling me back. I served, man. I did ten years, so I leapt. And I know there's a lot of people that do." Um, but then I spent, you know, probably a year there. I went back to school that first year, and I, I, I just put all my effort into double, tripling classes. Um, I, I, we haven't talked about this, but, I mean, I did like 70 credit hours in less, oh, about a year. Uh, and that's what I sunk my brain into because I needed something else. Uh, I, but, you know, I was ready. I went right out of high school. Um, less than a month, I enlisted. This was 2003, but everything was 
cooking off, you know. Uh, Afghanistan was already going. So that was an easy decision for me. I was not going to school. But 10 years later, I'm like, dude, I'm going to school. <laughs> but I was ready. Uh, maybe it was a maturity thing, right? Yeah, but I, I do remember I that. Think matur- <laughs> maturity is a, a very important word there. Cause, you know, look, looking back, I, I thought I was definitely more mature when I got out at the age of 23 than when I was when I was 17. Because I did the same thing right out of high school. And I was definitely more mature, but, you know, it was, uh, I think it was the difference between, like, a college graduate versus a high school graduate. There's simply a higher level of maturity there just because you've been around, you know, a few years longer. And it was definitely a difference maker. Robert, what were you going to say? I don't recall. I'm, I'm, dude. I'm listening to you. My bad. Great points, Jacob. No, 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 dude. You're, 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 I didn't want you to lose it. No, you're good. Everything you've been saying is so well said. I'm like, this is great. This is great. I'm just listening to it, man. All right, I got, I got my, I got my third question that I wrote down. Unless Jacob, you got something else you want to throw at him. Well, except for the part where I jumped out of the airlock, like I wouldn't recommend doing that. Like, don't just cut the cord, and let out, you know, you know, close your eyes and smiling the whole time. Like I, when I finally landed, it was a little rough, but I mean, as long as people are motivated and and they know what they want to do, and then they 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 curb their attitude. Because I will say that when I left in the final year, I was very, I was rough because I just come back from Afghanistan, but I'd made my decision and I was happy. And I think, you know, for all those people out there listening, not sure what to do, once you make it, make your decision and go with it and just understand that you will carry on. So, And if it isn't the, like, when you decide on a path and you start moving down that path, if it's not the right path, you'll learn lessons along the way regardless of, you know, if, if it ends up the way you wanted it to end up. The lessons you learn along the way will help you in other ways in determining your path. And I... I know for me it took me a while to figure out that even though the the path doesn't end up the way you want it to, the lessons along the way are still valuable and you can convert them into other things and you know avoid the the pain and suffering that is inevitably going to come. Hey man, Joe Dirt says life's a garden digger, right? Like you, <laughs> it's an experience. <laughs> you can either make it be miserable or you could, you know, enjoy enjoy working in the garden. I don't know. I mean, Absolutely. that analogy is still I like hilarious. That. I like that. But it works. It does. Oh, yeah. Attitude get, is really important. You get your hands dirty, you learn a lot. No, no uh, other way about it. So, all right, I'll, I'll throw this last question, Robert. So, yeah. If, in, in the entire process of your transition from, you know, the, mm-hmm. that airlock moment to now, what would you mm-hmm. say is the most translatable skill you've found converts into the, into the civilian world? Ooh. <clears throat> I think there's, a, I think there's a few, I think there's a few, you know, um, being in that intelligence community, you know, we brief a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm standing up in front of, you know, people who are twice my age, three times my age, and outrank me by a mile, uh, you know, but I'm the one up here telling you what you need to know. Uh, and I think that, I think, you know, if you boil that down, the ability to, to talk to people uh, and be comfortable in those, what, you know, are traditionally uncomfortable settings, I think that was the most translatable skill and has probably gotten me the furthest. Uh, you know, in my educational and professional and personal, you know, life is just being able to talk to people. Um, 
you know, regardless of who they are, you know, if they're not saying anything bad about anybody, please, but, you know, from, from, you know, a homeless person to a CEO, you treat everybody the same, right? Uh, and going back to, you know, the Intel community, that's kind of how it was. Rank was just the thing you wore on your chest. Nobody cared. You know, it didn't matter that I was briefing, <clears throat> you know, speak to everybody with respect, but it didn't matter that I was briefing, you know, a two-star general. You know, that essentially take the rank off you talking to somebody, you know, man-to-man or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think I carried that most. And then I guess the other one would, uh, you know, writing. Writing was very important. Um, in the military, being able to, to <laughs> write appropriately, <laughs> Uh, I think that was the most translatable skill going into college. Because, I mean, good Lord, I spent what feels like hundreds of thousands of hours in front of a computer typing away, you know, writing white pages. You know, those things translate. You know, in the moment, I'm like, good God, why am I doing this? <laughs> Nobody's going to read it. Nobody cares about what I I'm I read saying. it, Robert. I read it. <laughs> I appreciate you. I knew there was going to be a Blake out there somewhere in the world that would read it. Um, but, you know, th- those things translate. Those things translate. And I didn't see it then, but but I see it now. I, I, I You know, as you say, because I went, I ended up being the intel sergeant over in Iraq. You know, I just got thrown into the role, and I did the exact same thing as doing the briefings and spending hours in front of a computer staring at intel reports that, I read your report, Robert. It was good, well written. <laughs> and you know, doing doing the reports on you know writing up new report and those things definitely definitely transferred over. And especially the being able to talk to anyone, you know, man to man or man to woman, whatever. And mm-hmm. you know, looking at them and like, what information are you providing? Is it valuable? Why is it valuable? And how mm-hmm. does it relate to me? those things transfer anywhere you go in the world and in that mentality of you know i i know i bring some value to the table and i want to know what value you bring to the table and i'm i'm not going to prejudge who you are or where you come from but i i can figure out real quick whether or not you know what you're talking about or whether or not you're just you know saying things just to say it and yeah i that's I never actually thought about those those two pieces of that puzzle before, but that's uh, that's dead on. Jacob, what are you what are you thinking? No, I'm just listening. You know, sometimes you just gotta listen. To, you can't you can't you can't learn things if you're always talking, right? <laughs> Very true. Very true. But I I, I do appreciate uh, the insight from Robert because that's absolutely appropriate as far as you know being able to speak intelligently and then being able to write as well because those are going to be things that no matter where you're at no matter what your job you're going to have to do that if you can you're going to excel because at the end of the day it's still communication you know we've mm-hmm. talked about networking uh, and other skill sets that you'll need coming out well if you if you stop and think about it you know the veterans especially if they've been in for more than a minute they they've they are they are writing you know maybe they're making bullet impact statements and you're gonna have to change that because no one's gonna understand you uh you're certainly gonna have to figure out how to get rid of those acronyms and other keywords but you know it's not hard to change it from you know service members to employees or or a team Mm -hmm. to you know whatever and some of that translates Mm -hmm. but it is it's a communication thing and maybe that's the biggest gap is how to translate 
And, you know, that's why I think we're all here having this conversation and why we're in our respective roles, whether, you know, Robert at SMU or Blake and I at, at The Catalyst. We're the interpreters. That's what we're going to try to be. But we're also, you know, helping you guide, you know, as a mentor, whatever we can be, whatever we do to help you, you know, find that success post-military. That's what we're about. And then under understanding, you know, those those things that you bring to the table and, and why they're valuable in the civilian world, it, you're, you're right, Jacob, it all goes back to that translation piece. And um, Robert, it seems like you, you've, uh, you've figured that out, you know, going along the way too, is that how, how do I translate my skill set into the private sector? And it looks like you, you've got a handle on it over there at SMU. Oh, man, I try. But I tell you right now, I mean, <laughs> I've stumped my toe so many times. And I will, you know, <clears throat> I think, yeah, and we kind of touched on it. Y'all, or y'all touched on it a little bit, making those connections as you go out the door, uh, you know, anywhere. You know, trans, transitioning from service, you transition out of college, out of a job into a new career, whatever. Um, making connections is, is vital um, because, you know, whenever we transition to new stuff, having the ability to reach out and speak to someone who, who's been there before, maybe not going through or doing exactly what you're doing, but, you know, who's been there before and kind of give you, you know, a little tip, you know, hey, there's a rock there, don't step on that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's extremely important. But again, you know, I think it all boils down to your ability to communicate and connect with others. That one's huge, and I, I think uh, there is a, there is a problem in the veteran community about there's a, there's like an animosity that develops uh, on going out the airlock as it were. You oh know, yeah. You know that like I'm. It, I think I think it all has to do with that inability to translate. Like you you're looking at the civilian world and you realize you're not actually speaking the same language, even though you should be speaking the same language. And then there's that frustration that develops. I know I had it, and it was uh, it took a while to eliminate that frustration and, and convert it into something that was actually, uh, I guess, a, motiv- a motivation to change how I perceive things and how I communicate with others. And then it definitely got a bit easier. Well, I, you know, I I think uh, I think we we're kind of reaching. We're reaching a good point here where we can start wrapping things up. I don't know, Jacob, you can you think of any other questions you got for Robert? No, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you this morning and, you know, valuable insight on what makes uh, Robert Hurst tick. And, you know, uh, yeah. like I said, we'll definitely be promoting you and then trying to get uh, that information out to anyone there in the uh, Texas area, you know, Central Texas, North North Texas. Um, and I, you know, wish you well in, in this endeavor. It's, a, it's a, definitely a good cause. Well, I appreciate that, and, you know, understanding me is kind of like jumping into a dark hole, I'm sure, but I appreciate y'all's time. This has been great. Well, we're all in good company there, because I don't, (laughs) Jacob, I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. I'm, uh, you know, you want to understand what's going on in my brain. It's a deep, dark rabbit hole that leads to uh, Neverland, and, uh... (laughs) So many places to go with that, but I'll refrain. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. You know, you know what I'm talking about, Jacob. Don't pretend like you don't. I'm sorry I do. I'm sorry I do. <laughs> See? <laughs> he gets it. So, all right. Well, um, Robert, you got any other? I, I'll, I'll throw this out there, too, just so, you know, yeah. everyone knows. You know, SMU Catalyst Program, uh, you know, the goal is we got a, a uh, opening class coming up in August. 
Robert, you want to give any more details about it from your perspective being on the inside over there? Yeah, you know, this is something that, that we've been trying to bring in for almost a year now. You know, we worked through the pandemic, you know, in lockdown and trying to bring the catalyst down here to SMU. And and we're very, I can't, I can't explain how excited we are to, to get this going. Um, we're going to, our first kickoff is going to be in August. Uh, it's going to eight-week program. Uh, you know, we're going to have a, co a combination of the Catalyst instructors and SMU professors coming in to teach and and uh, just just really excited. We'll, we'll start pushing out some marketing material uh, here shortly. Excellent. And we'll, we'll be sure to put uh, contact info for both us here at the Catalyst program and for Robert over at SMU. So if anyone out there wants more information, you can reach out. And you know, if you want to jump in the program, you know, feel free to uh, shoot us an email. We'll get you lined up. All right. Anybody got anything else before we close this out? No. Have a good day. Good week, everyone. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, thanks, everyone. That was the Boots to the Boardroom podcast with your host, Blake Miles, and Jacob Eccles, and our guest today, Robert Hurst from Southern Methodist University. If you'd like some more information, please check out the links below, and we will see you next time. If you'd like to learn more about the Catalyst program and possibly attend one of our classes, please visit us at thecatalystprogram.org. Or if you'd like to find out more about possibly being a guest on our show, you can email me at blake.miles at thecatalystprogram.org. Just let me know what you're all about, and we'll see what we can do.